Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis, and Vicar Aidan Boone as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, provide you with some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. This week, episode 23, The Wisdom of God. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis, Senior Pastor at Zion Lutheran Church. I'm Vicar Aiden Moon. We're glad that you're with us this week as we continue our trek through the Scriptures, reading Genesis all the way through Revelation. This week, uh, we finish up the book of Job, chapters 38 to 42. Uh, we're going to look at the first two Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, and get started on the book of Proverbs. So we're covering a little bit of an area there. And so well, let's uh, get into the book of Job first. And the main question that we've been dealing with over the last two weeks as we've looked at the book of Job is, is God just? So yeah, this was the question that was introduced as we went into the book of Job. Um, really that question of if God runs the world by justice, if God himself is just. And now we really get to God's answer. We talked a lot about last week how Job's friends try to kind of answer this in a certain way and it's not remotely helpful or true. And Job himself really struggles and kind of launches a complaint to God about whether or not he's just. And then there's the, the last friend, Elihu, and Elihu kind of gives this more nuanced response that says, you don't necessarily see what God is thinking, what's in the mind of God. And so maybe there's a warning here to suffering is a warning to repent and not uh, not do things wrong in the future rather than sort of a condemnation. But then we get into this last section of Job and we finally get to God himself responding. God shows up and he gives Job an answer, but he does it in kind of a, a broad way. It's rather interesting because he gives Job a tour of the universe. And by that, asking Job, where were you when the, I laid the foundations of the earth? And really, that's a great question for us as well. It's easy to see the world through our own prism, so to speak. We look at it in our beginning, our middle, and ultimately our end. And as if all the universe revolves around who we are, what we do, what we say, how we live. And this tour of the universe for Job and really for us as well reminds us how little a speck, so to speak, we are in this universe that God has created. We are a part of it. God made us. And yet we are a small part and God's the big part, not us. Instead of everything revolving around me, 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 which would be our society, we're reminded that it really revolves around God and his creation, not the other way around. It's really interesting. I mean, in one of the Psalms, the, the quote is, what is man that you are mindful of him? That's a good kind of summary in some ways of what this last section of Job does is it reveals it's actually kind of amazing that God interacts with this these little creatures that we are with our short lives, relatively speaking, living in this huge complex universe. And so this way of humbling Job in the midst of his claim is to say, yeah, it's this is a complex, huge universe and it doesn't revolve around you, Job. Uh, and Job is assuming from the get-go, from the rest of the book, that humans can make a judgment call about God's justice, that humans can sort of put God on trial. And God, by giving this tour of the universe, he doesn't defend himself to Job. He doesn't give Job a why answer. Rather, he shows him that this is this huge, complex universe, and that Job, as a human, is not in a position to make the claim that God is not just. 
because God is God. Like you said, it's not the humans aren't the center point. God is the the center and source of all of all being. And so humans have a, a very different place in that. And God's end really in all of that is just to request Job's trust that despite everything that's going on in Job's life, because God is the creator of the universe, he asks for Job's trust and Job responds well to that. Well, it's really interesting too, is to be reminded of what the word trust is for us as Christians. Trust, faith, they go hand in hand. And that when we talk about trust in God, we're really talking about faith in God and that God does what God says he will do, that he is the one who determines what is just, what is not just, uh, and instead of our own implication as to what we think justice is, it really revolves back to who God is and what he is. Maybe the answer best is, you know, God's God and we are his creation. And so we all have our particular roles and live within them. And as you mentioned there, Job responds positively. In chapter 42, we see Job repents. And in doing that, God honors his prayer and his honesty. And it's really, uh, the book of Job is rather an interesting journey, so to speak, from the beginning to the end, realizing where Job does end up when it's all said and done, coming to that reality of the need and importance of repentance. It's also interesting that God condemns the friends. So the friends came in and kind of tried to act as God's lawyers, so to speak. If we're putting God on trial in the book of Job, they're like, well, God probably did this because he's punishing you. That's one of the one of the arguments they make. And God condemns that. It's almost like the end of Job is God saying, I don't need a defense attorney. I am capable of defending myself. I'm the creator of the universe. And so he is more, he, he honors Job's honesty and his even his complaint more than he honors the defense given by the friends. And I think that's a good lesson for us. Um, it can be really an instinct for us to try to look for a why, to try to defend God, but God can defend himself. And God does honor our laments when we're angry or upset or afraid. I say this often in the work I do over at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch. God can handle our negative emotions. They're not beyond him. God can handle our fear. God can handle our sadness. God can handle our anger about the way things are in the world. And so we can, uh, we can like Job, we can aim those at God, so to speak. Um, and his response to us is going to be, I am God. <laughs> it's not a, it, he doesn't give us the why, but he invites us to trust in him even as we also express those things. And so it is, it's a good reminder to us to not necessarily set ourselves up as God's defense attorney, but to place ourselves as his creatures, as those he's made, and to make sure that we lift him up as the ultimate source and center of everything. And really those themes, those themes of, of wisdom and Job, they're going to carry out through the rest of the wisdom books as well, including the Psalms, which is where we'll go next. Right. And one last thing as we finish up Job, I, we keep referring to Job's friends, and I really like to re refer to them as so-called friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because they're really, if you ask me, looking out for themselves, not for Job. They try to act like they're looking out for Job, but really they're looking out for themselves. Look how good we are, Job. Look how bad you are. And it really speaks to the interaction with individuals that we have in our lives. Who are the real friends? And who are those who, and the real friends are those who truly look to God's word and applies and strengthens our understanding of what God's word is and not simply their own misunderstanding of what God's word 
says. So the real friends are the so-called friends. And that's that's just one last final uh, comment there. As Vicar mentioned, we're moving into the book of Psalms throughout our trek through the scriptures each day, along with the three or four chapters that we're reading in the various books of the scriptures that we're trekking through. Uh, we read one of the Psalms, and we really haven't spent a lot of time in our podcast here really talking about Psalms. We've referenced different Psalms as we've gone through. And uh, this week, specifically, one uh, we're reading Psalm 1 and 2 outside of the normal each day reading a Psalm. And the reason it's really uh, kind of that, it gives us that opportunity for special reflection. One of the things that in worship you'll often hear me refer to when we uh, read or chant one of the Psalms in worship is it's the songbook of the Bible. Truly, most of the Psalms, not all of them, but most of them were written to be sung. Their idea of singing and music, a little bit different than ours, but the chanting and use of that, even if you go to uh, Jerusalem today, the wailing wall, that one portion of the temple that is still available, the men and women separated on different sections of the wall, but as they stand before the wall and they rock back and forth and you hear them chanting, singing some of the lament psalms as they do that. And so it is very much a part of the life even of the Jewish people today. And so reflecting on these opening as we begin the book of Psalms is, is rather important. And one of the reasons we read these every day is because the Psalms are really unique in that they are they're short units, they're individual poems or songs that are really designed for more kind of meditation and reflection. They're less cognitive generally, and they get at more of experiences. They have a lot of imagery. And so they're good for sort of a daily prayer and meditation. Um, we can pray the Psalms because they are they are prayers in a sense as well. And they're also, I mean, like you said, they're part of worship life and they're part of our worship life today. Even beyond the, you know, intro it that we chant, there's all kinds of uh, aspects of the Psalms integrated into, into traditional liturgies. And so they're really designed to be used in that kind of way. And it can be kind of funny to call them poetry because we read them and they don't, you know, have rhyme. They don't seem to have meter, but they're for one thing written in Hebrew. So, we can't exactly see the same sound and meter that we would pick up if we were reading it in the Hebrew. So that's one thing to think about. But also Hebrew poetry just works a little bit differently. So there's other features of it. And so pay attention to things like repetition or the same thing repeated twice, but kind of flipped. So you'll have, you know, the noun and then the verb and then the verb and then the noun, things like that. That's, that's the kind of features that Hebrew poetry really relies on is sort of saying it one way and then flipping it and restating in another way. That's that's more of the, the poetic nature of it rather than just like, hey, we're looking for like a limerick or something. It's not that. It operates a little bit differently. And like you said, this week we're reading Psalm 1 and 2 worth some special reflection. Psalm 1 is really a profound way to start it. It really focuses on living rooted, and it uses the image of a tree planted by streams of water, rooted in God's Torah, in, in the word. we often, It's often translated as the law, but it's, it's really those first five books that we read through earlier this year, the the central story of God's people and all of the law and everything that came through Moses, living life rooted in that way. And that's the first Psalm. Well, as you do that, one of the things to realize is that the Psalm is a 
compilation. It's not, they're not all written by the same author. King David did write many of the Psalms. Uh, we refer to that. And I personally like reading King David's Psalms because he starts out struggling often with some particular issue and cries out, you know, oh Lord, how long? And as he works his way through that particular Psalm, he ultimately comes to this realization God provides for what he needs. But there's other authors as well, Moses. And at the beginning of each Psalm, it generally kind of tells you who that author is. And uh, as you're reading through that, and it's rather interesting to realize different styles within that, even though they are all pretty much a part of the liturgical nature. And as we do that, the Psalms themselves are kind of divided first by lament and praise. And maybe that's one of those things we should start. Lament, that's not something, a word we necessarily use real Mm -hmm. often. Yeah, lament is a really important concept in the Old Testament and especially in the Psalms because it really gets at that idea of a, a cry out for help. And lament can take on more of the picture of maybe anger in some places or injustice. It can look like severe sadness or even kind of depression at various points, but it's the expression of those emotions then directed at God. Um, It's actually kind of what I was talking about with Job, that God's willing to take even the most negative of our emotions. Um, That's what lament does. And most of the time, the lament Psalms, like you said with, with King David Psalms, come from a place of sort of really stark honesty to also a, you know, I will trust in your steadfast love. Love, O Lord, at the end. Not all of them. There's a few that end still kind of in the dark, but for the most part, the Psalms are are moving from this place of crying out for help to a place of trust. And I think it's important for us to see that really lament and faith are two sides of the same coin in the sense that why call out for help to someone that you don't trust? It's sort of uh, the image that a preacher once used is, you know, tugging on the string of prayer, knowing that there's someone on the other end. And that's what lament does, is it actually trusts that God cares about our darkest times, um, whether it's those of Job or of King David, um, we see that shown. And so those that's one of those big kind of sections. And there's a lot of them, a lot of Psalms of lament. And then the other ones are praise. And this ones are maybe ones we're more familiar with. And often praise for, for the Hebrew people was really oriented around retelling the works of God. So whether it's talking about creation, whether it's, you know, retelling their history, there's some of them that will tell of, you know, the Exodus in and the narrative of of that and the deliverance through the sea and the destruction of Pharaoh, often the praise will be directed at specific things that God has done and then kind of reciting those things to each other to then remember how great God is. And you can even break the Psalms further down by type within those categories as well. Well, we have the royal Psalms, and obviously we're talking about King David, Solomon, writing a few of them. So obviously you see it from the kingly aspect related to it. But then also there's the wisdom Psalms, wisdom literature, wisdom Psalms. But talk about uh, the wisdom of God and its impact on our lives and how it should really affect then uh, how we live, how we act, what we say. And that becomes rather uh evident as you, as you read through it. But then there's there's the, also the idea of praise. Uh, we talked about that. But the praise itself, it's a, it's a different kind of praise, you know, oh Lord, uh, thank you for this and, uh, and the wonderful things that you have given us in nature and my life and so forth. Now, one of them is ascent. And, and uh, that, that is not something necessarily that you might 
right offhand be uh, acquainted with. You'll notice sometimes when you're reading, it'll say a psalm of ascent, as in A-S-C-E-N-T, ascent. And this is for literally going up, going up to Jerusalem generally. So there would be sort of a pilgrimage that would happen where people would gather for these various festivals and they would come up to the temple in Jerusalem and you're literally going up. It's on a mountain, it's on a hill. But the the idea of going up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was the central holy place, it was seen as the kind of pinnacle even if you were higher elevation, it was seen as the pinnacle. So if you were going to Jerusalem, you were going up to Jerusalem. And uh, these psalms were written to be sung or chanted as you were traveling. So you'd have a group of people, of pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, and they would be singing this, this song together. And so that's what those psalms of ascent are. And that's, they're kind of unique. And the psalms of ascent can fall into the praise or, or lament category as well, but they're labeled as that because that's how they were used, liturgically speaking. And in the same area of lament, so falling under that category, there's, there's individual lament. There's like, you know, my life is really struggling. I mean, things are really bad for me. There is communal lament that's like lamenting as a whole people. It's saying, you know, we as God's people are suffering. There's some related to the exile, which we've talked about um, in our podcast before this. So there's some related to that, the idea of the whole people of God feeling they've been rejected. And then actually in the same category of lament is these Psalms of, of confession. We might be familiar with Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. This is lamenting not things in the world around, but actually sin within, saying this, this sin that I have within me is, is horrible. I know I bear this guilt. So God, uh, make me clean. God, forgive my sins. So that's also falls under that category of lament. There's a little side note here, too. Uh, you were mentioning about Jerusalem being up on a hill, Mount yep. Zion, and uh, going up to it. Uh, it's a rather interesting as you're reading through the scriptures in general, not just the book of Psalms, but in general. We normally think of going down, meaning going south. We normally think of going up, meaning north. But whenever they refer to Jerusalem, no matter whether they were north, south, east, or west, they always speak about going up to Jerusalem because yep. you go up the hill. So you need to, again, the context of what you're reading, realize that it doesn't mean that you're up north in Galilee region going to Jerusalem. It could be south uh, because whenever they spoke about Jerusalem, it was always up because up on Mount Zion. And that's a little different than how we necessarily measure uh, travel uh, because when we refer to south, that's going down. When we refer to north, that's going up. But not necessarily as we're reading through the scriptures. So the Ascent Psalms is a good spot for us to be reminded we always go up to Jerusalem no matter where we are geographically from the city of Jerusalem. And we'll note that in the prophets too. The prophets talk about Mount Zion and Jerusalem quite a bit. And so it's worth worth noting as we've come through the prophets, as we're reading through the Psalms, that that's a consistent, consistent theme throughout. The Psalms are, are really worth consistent reflection. I, I think that at various times in my life, I've, I've read a Psalm every day um, that is, and it's been this good chance to just reflect, to slow down, to read something and chew on it. And also recognizing that these were very important for the life of Jesus. They're really formed into the, the liturgy of God's people. And Jesus was familiar with the Psalms. We see Jesus quoting the Psalms, even on the cross, Jesus quotes the Psalms. So we see this as being really significant. And then they come through even to our own liturgy today, as, as we've said. So this is, it's worth being familiar with the Psalms and continuing to read them, especially the shorter ones are, are good to kind of just chew on and meditate on and uh, let those form your prayer life as well. 
As we've gone through the trek through the scriptures, as we read through the book of Psalms, be reminded that, yes, we are repeating, and we'll be reading once again through the book of Psalms, starting with Psalm 1 and reading through to the end. Uh, Don't say, ah, I read this earlier in the year, I don't need to read this again. Uh, Obviously, as Vicar was mentioning, the importance of having an opportunity to reflect on it again, please reread them as as they added on to the various readings of the day. Now, the Next place we're going, we're get started on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a rather interesting book because in all reality, you can read one verse, say, okay, I've read Proverbs today because it's like it's <laughs> its own, it contains its own little message within just a line or two with that. So it's rather interesting as we read through Proverbs to not be so overwhelmed with all the various directions and where it's going. But it really, when we talk about wisdom literature, I think a lot of people really point to Proverbs because of all the pithy little statements, so yep. to speak, that it gives. There And it's really written by King Solomon. We talk about wisdom. Uh, obviously, by the end of his life, there was some uh, misguided with that wisdom, but nevertheless, wisdom about living and living well in the world that God has created. So the first section of Proverbs really is is a little bit, it's a little bit broader. It has some kind of sections that you can follow his plot of how he's talking about things. And this is really what we'd emphasize as, as Solomon writing down these things, kind of characterizing wisdom as a person, as a woman. Um, and that's that's an aspect of that first section. But the, the bulk of the book is these individual little sayings, we might say axioms or Proverbs, as we say. And, you know, we don't know if Solomon just like came up with all of these or if he's compiling a lot of different kind of common statements of wisdom. But but Proverbs is is often a, a good a good place to look when we're thinking about living well in the world, like you said. And it's it's worth saying that this is not about pleasing God necessarily, in the sense that it's not about some sort of action that we do to make God happy with us. So it's not a uh, about the vertical relationship necessarily. Rather, this is how God and his faithfulness and his love for us and then his wisdom influences how we live our lives. So it's more of the uh, horizontal level is what Proverbs is focused on. So it's, it's not... Uh, sometimes I think Proverbs could be taken as some kind of works righteousness, that if you do these things, then your life will be good and God will love you. And that's not really the point. Um, the point is, how does God's wisdom and his perception of how he created the world and his His attitude about things affect our lives and then how we will play those out? And uh, it also relates to the generational passing on of wisdom. Um, the, it's framed as, you know, a father giving this wisdom to his son. That's how the the book of Proverbs is set up. And I think that says a lot too about how wisdom is passed on from generation to generation. And for for those of us who are younger, it's a good reminder to listen, to not just tune into the book of Proverbs, but to tune into those who have gone before, to those who have um, walked maybe the path we've already walked. And often there's the, the, the stereotype that we just sort of, everybody goes their own way and you roll your eyes when your parents give you advice and uh, you kind of have to learn the hard way, but you don't have to. There's a, the Proverbs models actually a way of, of reflection and listening and not taking that for granted. And there is a lot of really powerful and, and useful practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs in that way. Well, and it's the practical nature. The practical nature means it applies to how we do things. It doesn't mean that we earn, as Vicar's been stating as we go that direction. It's not about earning God's love or earning God's trust, but in a very practical way, how we live 
in how we act in the world and life that God has given us. And let's be honest, the vicar kind of referenced this, when we're talking with our own children or the next generation to come, it's very much how we do things, not necessarily what we say about how we do things. Uh, so many times uh, it often is goes this way with a cliche, your actions are speaking so loud I can't hear a thing you're saying. <laughs> uh, so as we read through Proverbs, it realizes don't just listen to what Proverbs says. How do we then apply and live as believers in how we do it? Because it's our life and our actions that really speak to the next generation as to who and what we are in Christ Jesus. It's not enough for us to say we are believers. How do we live as believers? Not to earn, but truly to live as a believer in what we do and what we say. And, and Proverbs really does a lot of that because it's not a promise, it's a probability it, as we live out that life. So uh, deal with what life throws you and this is how you deal with it. Maybe you'd say deal with consequences, but deal with the complexities of life really is what we're talking about here because life is messy. And sometimes we forget that even as Christians, yes, our lives are messy. Just because we're Christians does not mean that we don't have the same struggles with life and actions and and who we are, what we are, what we do. And Proverbs really speaks to that complexity, that messiness of life. And I think also the the you said the promises and probabilities comment that this book sometimes could be taken as if you do this good thing, then you will always get this good reward. That's not really the point of Proverbs. The point of Proverbs is to give us a general rule. I mean, it doesn't deal with the exceptions. Uh, you could look at Ecclesiastes and Job to get a kind of a broader picture of that. It's dealing with the general rule, um, the natural consequences that come up and the natural things that will happen. So if you're, if you're behaving in this kind of way, this is likely to happen to you. It doesn't mean that it always will. I mean, we see that people who are, who are trying to live just and righteous lives who are um, living according to the wisdom of Proverbs still suffer, still struggle, still have people um, hate them for no good reason. Still, So like the, and Proverbs is not intending to say that that's not happening, but it, it's giving a general rule. If you live in this sort of way, along with God's natural law, his natural way of organizing creation, then things will generally operate better. That's kind of how wisdom wisdom operates, is how does that wisdom then apply, and like you said, practically play out in how we live our lives. We're going to see that uh, next week uh, when we get into Ecclesiastes and finish up the book of Proverbs. So there's a lot of uh, wisdom, a lot of application, so to speak, in daily living as we end the week with the beginning of the book of Proverbs and look to next week with finishing up Proverbs, getting into Ecclesiastes. So this is sections really to read and then maybe come back and reread again. In other words, uh, you might read it through in the morning and then later in the afternoon look at it again because there is oftentimes so much in each one of these chapters and verses as you go through Proverbs that you can read it and need to do it again just because there's so much information and observations that, that's being held there. So take your time as you read through Proverbs. Uh, it's not a book that you just kind of rush through by any stretch. It, there's so much there. You're going to want to take time to read it and maybe slowly 
reread it uh, to uh, be able to truly grasp everything that's being uh, given there in the various verses found in each chapter. Well, we're glad that you spent time with us this week. Uh, I'm hoping that the time and reflection that we've given you is giving you a little bit of target as you go through this coming week, as you look at the book of Job and some of the Psalms here as we get into that and then uh, begin our look at Proverbs. May the Lord bless your reading this week as we continue our trek through the scriptures and we look forward to talking with you again next time. Thank you for joining us on our trek through the scriptures this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Join me now in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, giver and perfecter of our faith, we thank and praise you for the gift of your holy scriptures for our instruction and edification. Send your blessing upon your word, and by the Holy Spirit, increase our saving knowledge of you, that day by day we may be strengthened in divine truth and remain steadfast in your grace. Give us strength to fight the good fight, and by faith to overcome all the temptations of Satan, the flesh, and the world, so that we may finally receive the salvation of our souls. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week as we continue our exploration of God's story as it points us ever towards the good news of Jesus Christ. Have a great week.